Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today I'm going to be jumping in to my UFC 271 preview and predictions. It's going to be my first of two parts. I'm going to do the main card separately because I really want to go in deep with that. Uh, and I also want to do quite in-depth analysis of all these fights on the prelims. So I thought it's better to separate them uh, and they can be enjoyed separately. But it's going to be such an awesome card. So there are two huge main events set the card at UFC 271 in Houston, Texas this weekend. We have got the main event middleweight championship Adesanya vs Whitaker 2 uh, as a Kiwi and also an Australian. I, this is like a dream match to see it again. Would have loved to see it happen in Australia uh, but it's just quite not not quite feasible at the moment unfortunately but that is going to be such a good main event. I will jump into that really really in depth uh, for my main card preview but there are a lot of fights throughout these prelims where there are fighters connected to either Whitaker or Adesanya so there are a lot of notes throughout this card that revolve around our main event uh, and I'll get to those as we go along the card. Now the co-main event is going to be massive as well we have got what it's actually probably the fight out of all the ones announced so far for this year that I am most excited about this year Derek Lewis, Tai Tuivasa are two fan favorites in Houston, Texas. Derek Lewis's hometown. Last time he fought in Houston, he went down to Cyril Garn for the Interim Heavyweight Championship. He's back. He seems to be more prepared this time for the hype and everything that comes with Houston. And he's taking on Tai Tuivasa, who is on a roll. The match I am most excited for on this card, the two main events most definitely, but I will save my main hype for the main card podcast. So there's going to be a lot of Kiwi and Aussie flavor throughout this card. Really excited to break down some of that. And that does not mean I'm going to discount their opponents because there are some very good stylistic matchups littered throughout this card. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be doing the preliminary card today with my main card podcast set to be released a little bit closer toward the weekend. So if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a follow on uh, Instagram at not just a sports report. You'll be able to keep up to date with all the content because there's going to be a lot of other things outside of just the podcast realm, a lot of it including the UFC. So the best way to, best way, sorry, to stay up to date at the moment is to follow us on Instagram at not just a sports report uh, and follow us on whatever podcast kind of platform you're listening on and you'll be able to see whenever new podcasts are posted as well. So I'm going to jump into our opening fight now. We have got the debut of Blood Diamond representing New Zealand. He trains with Israel Adesanya. We've got Mike Mathena, I believe it is, known as Blood Diamond, up against the American in Jeremiah Wells. Now, Mike Diamond has a kickboxing background. Uh, there's been a lot of hype about his arrival. No one's too sure what to make, and they don't think he's going to be like a killer immediately, but everyone's kind of 
their ears pricked up once they realized this guy had signed with the UFC. It's going to be a really interesting debut. Uh, and now, just because of guys like Alex Pereira and uh, Adesanya, the kickboxing guys who've made a real successful go of the UFC so far, uh, I think Mike Diamond's going to be hoping to do the same. He does train with Izzy as well. So I think he's going to be learning a lot going into this bout. Now, Blood Diamond is one of the many Kiwis or Aussies looking to make a splash, not just on this card, but in the promotion as a whole. Blood Diamond, of course, has ties to the champion in the middleweight division, so I think he has learned a few things. I think he's going to have a new, new few, sorry, I can't speak English, a few tricks up his sleeve. Uh, and he always does anyway, regardless of Izzy's involvement. Blood Diamond is a really unorthodox fighter. He's got a different style. He's a hard guy to study for, especially because he's only had three mixed martial arts professional fights. So he has had a lot of kickboxing fights, but it's different to kind of study them in those environments. And one of the kind of unknown quantities about this fight is Blood Diamond's wrestling and his grappling. So I think he'll be working really hard on that leading into this fight. Uh, and that's a little aspect of this fight that does intrigue me. Now, with the champion in the main event, Israel Adesanya, of course, Blood Diamond having ties to him, he is going to want to kick the night off in style for his team with an emphatic victory. On the other side of the cage will be Jeremiah Wells, who is coming off the back of his statement UFC debut knockout win over Warley Alvarez, or Alvarez sorry, in June last year. Wells was supposed to fight another trans-Tasman fighter in Jake Matthews in December last year, but the bout was cancelled last minute. It appears as though Wells is good to go for this weekend though, so he seems fit, he seems firing, and I am really excited to see what happens in this opening, <coughs> excuse me, in this opening bout. Uh, should I edit that out? Maybe in future, I'm just going to leave that one, sorry. Now, uh, Wells tra trains with Sean Brady and Pat Sabatini. Uh, they're really good guys to have in your corner. Sean Brady specifically is a really, really intelligent fighter. He is currently one of the welterweight contenders in terms of pushing toward a title shot. Uh, so Wells is in really good company amongst Brady and Sabatini. But his opponent in Blood Diamond does have big wraps on him from the people who have been training alongside him. The thing with Blood Diamond though is that his MMA resume is rather limited with only three professional fights and his last took place in 2020 so it's been quite a while between drinks uh, for Mike Diamond. Now Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wells is the 35 year old American. He does have the slight reach advantage uh, and his opponent in Blood Diamond is 33 years old. He is representing New Zealand out of City Kickboxing, who have quite a few products on this card, including, as I've mentioned quite a few times already, in the main event. So Blood Diamond's MMA career is an interesting one. He hasn't had a high level of activity, which is a bit of a worry. Now, he debuted in 2017 with a round two TKO win under the Shuriken Fight Series banner. In 2018, Blood Diamond returned to action with a round one submission win that really started to kind of put his name in the sights of Dana White, I believe. Now, he got that win in 2018 and he didn't return until 2020, getting a decision victory in the Eternal promotion, which is an Australian MMA promotion, in my opinion, the best one in Australia. Um, and yeah, so 
there was a two-year gap, basically, or I don't know the exact dates of when those fights took place, but 2018 to 2020, so he missed all of 2019, uh, only had one fight in 2017, 2018, missed all of 2019, one fight in 2020, missed all of last year. Uh, so even if he wins here, it's like, are, are we going to see him straight away? I'm really not sure what the go is there. Uh, that lack of activity does worry me. Uh, but I'm not too sure whether... He, I haven't looked into it too far. I don't know whether he's still been kickboxing. I'm sure he's been active in some regard. But it is a note that is a bit of a worry. Although Alex Pereira uh, was kind of similar, but way more credentialed. Way more credentialed. That's the difference. And his opponent, Pereira, had been knocked out a ton. Whereas Wells is way more durable. So... It's, it's an apples and oranges thing as far as Pereira and Adesanya go and then Blood Diamond's transition to MMA. But after the Pereira thing, I actually picked uh, Andreas Michelades to beat Pereira. So I was shocked. But I wasn't shocked, but then I was like, okay, wow, now I get it after I saw how hard Pereira hit. So I am really wary about going against Blood Diamond, but the lack of activity worries me a lot. He's a kickboxing specialist, but... I do wonder if he's all worth all the hype that he's been getting because I have heard rumblings that he isn't going to be a standout like some of the other kickboxers who've entered the UFC before him. I'm going to be cheering him on though and give him the benefit of the doubt, but I do want to continue my good predictions form, so I'm not just going to back Blood Diamond in just because he's representing New Zealand and I am a Kiwi. Now, Blood Diamond has had three fights. He is undefeated. Jeremiah Wells has won six of his last seven fights, and he is 1-0 inside the UFC. As for their pro records, Blood Diamond, three wins, no losses. Uh, he has one knockout win, one submission win, and one decision win, and they were all quite spaced out as well. As for Jeremiah Wells, he has nine wins, two losses, and one draw on his professional record. Jeremiah's wins include four knockouts, three submissions, and two decision victories, so he's pretty capable wherever this fight takes him. I do think that gives him an advantage over Blood Diamond, although if you look at Mike Diamond's record, he has had a win by each method as well, so that's an interesting one, and it makes it kind of tricky to pick exactly how this one's going to play out. As for Jeremiah's losses, he has lost twice by decision, so never been stopped. That's another really interesting aspect of this fight, uh, that if you didn't know, Jeremiah Wells has not been stopped. Obviously, Blood Diamond has not been defeated. And could one of those things happen here? Very likely. So it's going to be such an interesting fight. I'm excited to see how it plays out. Now, Wells, of course, yet to be stopped inside the distance throughout his professional career. So in the stylistic matchup, really, you've got an all-rounder in Wells up against a relatively unknown entity in Blood Diamond. I'm going to take a quick look at the betting market now, and then I'm going to make my official prediction for this fight before I move up the card, because there are plenty of exciting prelim fights to jump into in this podcast. Now, unfortunately, early in the week, there aren't a method of victory odds, so I'll be doing that for the main card, because I won, again, the last three cards I've done uh, <clears throat> the one UFC 270, I kind of had an average run because there were a lot of debutants on the card, but I did really well at UFC 269. I won like 700 bucks and I won about 400, um, last weekend for the Strickland cards. So 
I really want to keep this run going. There aren't method of victory odds here, but I will be tapping into that this weekend. And I'll also, in my prediction, be giving my method prediction. So head to head, Jeremiah Wells is the favorite at $1.48. But if you like value, Blood Diamond could be a great value underdog bet at $2.70. As for which way I'm going for the opening fight of UFC 271 on the early prelims, I'm going to be taking Jeremiah Wells by knockout. Uh, I think this one could go to decision, but I think we're going to see the fight kind of go a bit of everywhere. I really don't know how this one's going to play out, but Blood Diamond, uh, I want him to impress me, but I can't back him in quite yet until he shows me what he can do. I have seen a bit of what Jeremiah Wells can do. Uh, I like it, so I'm going to be taking Jeremiah Wells by knockout. Did I mention the weight class as well? I might not have even mentioned the weight class, which, uh, sorry, I should have done that. Let's have a look at what weight class. I think it's welterweight. It is welterweight. So there we go. I think this one could very well go to decision, or decision. Said that in a kind of strange way, didn't I? Uh, but I'm taking Jeremiah Wells by knockout. I will be cheering for Blood Diamond, but my money is going to be going on Wells for the win in this contest. So I'm going to move on now to some bantamweight action up next between Douglas Silva de Andrade and Sergei Morozov. Now, both guys are going to be looking to kick 2022 off with some momentum. They are bantamweight veterans with bucket loads of experience inside the octagon and a lot of talent as well. Both men are in search of their second straight win and a chance to really build some momentum in 2022. You could say that both fighters are at somewhat of a crossroads in their career, so I expect both men to present their best possible showing this weekend in hopes of really reigniting their flame at 145 pounds. On one side, you've got Douglas, the 36-year-old Brazilian veteran, and he's been competing in the UFC since 2014, so he knows what it's all about. That experience factor definitely comes into play. Now, Morozov isn't a rookie, uh, but I think whenever Andrade is matched up against guys who don't have that kind of experience, uh, maybe like a contender series guys, I think that experience is very important. He knows what it's all about, and he's had some real highlights inside the UFC octagon as well. Douglas Silva de Andrade has an overall UFC record of five wins and four losses split between bantamweight and featherweight. As for Sergey, his record is 1-1 one one inside the UFC, and he debuted for the promotion last year in January. He lost to Umar Nurmagomedov by submission in round 2, but then Morozov bounced back in July, defeating Khalid Tala by unanimous decision. Now, an interesting note as well is that Sergey also split bats with the Ultimate Fighter alumni from this past season, Josh Reddinghouse, who I really liked. I wouldn't have minded to see him get a little crack inside the UFC. I think he would have performed, at, at the very least, in some exciting fights. Uh, so Morozov has split bats with Reddinghouse, which I thought was an interesting note. It's going to be a highly entertaining fight this weekend between two fighters looking to make a huge statement in front of a packed Houston crowd. I started doing my podcast in October. Now, I had a fight with Douglas. Or I didn't personally have a fight have a fight he would have knocked me out for sure uh, in like probably like 10 seconds but uh, I picked Douglas in his most recent fight to win by knockout and he did he came through so I really really like 
Douglas in terms of going toward this weekend and what I think I'm going to bet on. He's the underdog in this fight, but I'm considering backing him in once again as a great value underdog bet. Now, nicknamed D Silva, he is 36 and he is from Brazil. The size advantage is going to tip slightly in his favor as well, so it could really play toward the knockout. I'll say my gut feeling prediction, which sometimes, usually when I go against my gut feeling prediction, it's wrong. Uh, I'm wrong, so the gut feeling prediction is right. And all week I've been feeling a Douglas Silva knockout win, but... I'm still not sure because there's something coming up that I will mention that really changes things. And that is that Sergei Morozov is from Kazakhstan. Now, if you haven't heard my theory, rolling with a couple of theories, just ones when I'm on the fence, uh, and twice I have backed in the Kazakhstan theory with an exact method of victory. And they've come through, including the most recent card with Shavkat uh, Rokmanov. That was crazy too. So I've got my Kazakhstan theory. So all week I've been feeling silver, but the Kazakhstan theory comes into the play where I bet on everyone from Kazakhstan and do poor Borat impersonations. Um, yeah, but I back the Kazakhstanis or Kazakhstans. I don't know what the, what the official term is, but I back them. And they're really fucking good fighters. They, the, it's been winning. The theory has been winning. So this, in my opinion, a lesser note in the predictions, but this is more a personal one for the podcast. The Kazakhstan theory officially comes into play this weekend. If Sergey gets the win, the Kazakhstan theory is legit. If Douglas Silva gets the win, then in future I need to go with my gut and not follow the Kazakhstan theory because I am very seriously thinking about switching my bet to the Kazakhstan theory. Sergey Morozov, Morozov, sorry, I got so excited I can't even say his name. Now for Douglas Silva, the Corinthians MMA product had two fights in 2021 with a one-on-one record last year, the same as his opponent this weekend. Douglas's first fight was in January 2021 with a decision loss to Lerone Murphy, who's really proving to be one of the standout competitors in the featherweight division. Uh, and then Douglas dropped down, I believe this one was at Bantamweight, with a round one knockout win over Gaetano Perillo. That is the fight that I had Douglas winning, and he got up, he got my prediction up. That's why I really want to back him in again. Uh, it's do I go with what I know? Or do I go with the Kazakhstan theory? Now, in October 2021 uh, was when he had that win over Pirello. So he's back relatively shortly after, which is good for Silva. Good to have a high level of activity. And this is going to be a sleeper fight, I think. I think it's one another underrated fight on this card where it's going to be really, really good. It's going to be really entertaining as well. And there's going to be a crowd there, a Houston crowd really driving on the action as well, which is very exciting. Now, I'll have a quick look at their pro records. Uh, Douglas Silva has 32 fights, 27 wins, 4 losses, and 1 no contest. D Silva's wins include 20 knockouts. That was the highlight stat. I picked him by knockout last time. He won. That was the highlight stat for me last time, and it is again here. Uh, Dave, uh, not David Silva, sorry. Douglas Silva 
20 knockout wins from 27 wins. Uh, and Sergei Mozov, for the record, has only been knocked out once uh, in about 22 fights. So that's an interesting stat as well going into this. Now back to D Silva. He's also had one submission win and he's had six decisions. But the very impressive stat there is 20 knockout wins in his career. As for D Silva's losses, he's been knocked out once in 32 fights. He's been submitted once in 32 fights. And he has been... Well, gone to the judges' scorecards. So it's quite hot right now as I'm recording. I'm just sweating and losing concentration. Uh, but Douglas Silva, two decision losses. There we go. I got it out there. Apologies. Again, I could edit some of this stuff, but for the prelim, for the main card, the main card will be a real, real editing masterclass. But this is the prelims. It's unfiltered, so we move on. But two decision losses as well for Douglas Silva. Now, Morozov has 17 wins and five losses. Sergey's wins include eight knockouts, so he's a bit of a knockout specialist himself. Three submissions and six decision wins. As for Morozov's losses, he has one knockout loss, uh, which is the interesting stat up against Silva's 20 knockout wins. Three submission losses for Morozov and one decision loss. Stylistically, it's definitely going to be Douglas looking for the performance of the night level finished while Serve or Sergey, Survey, really? Uh, Sergey will be looking to control this fight and dictate the pace on his terms. So I'll take a quick look at the betting market now, and then I will make my official prediction. Uh, where are we? Apologies, we're live on the go here. Uh, Sergey is the favorite at $1.50, but if you love an underdog bet, then definitely get on Douglas Silver Deandrage this weekend. I really like him at $2.60. Uh, I think that'll make the knockout bet even juicier, but although they'll probably be quite, quite slack with those odds, actually. Uh, but as the underdog, I really like those odds. Uh, and I'll touch on my methods of victory predictions maybe a bit later and closer towards the weekend. Uh, but as for how I'm going in this one, I'm going to put the Kazakhstan theory to the test. I'm taking Sergei Morozov by decision. And yet, yeah, I am so sorry, Douglas. I really like you. I wanted to back him in here. But... It's time to put the Kazakhstan theory to the test. I'm putting it to the test here this weekend. Sergei Morozov by decision. Let's see how it plays out. Uh, I'll be streaming alongside JJ, who's been on a few of my USC podcasts this weekend for the card as well. So that's going to be really exciting. And we'll be doing all our live reactions to the entire card. And so that's one to look out for. The Kazakhstan theory, that'll be kind of the theme of this contest and Douglas and his knockout power, but we're finally going to see whether the Kazakhstan theory holds up. Now, I'm taking Morozov by decision. Originally, of course, I had Douglas by knockout, so I'm going to be putting a $10 bonus bet on Douglas Silver to win by knockout. I genuinely back that to be the result, but it's time to put the Kazakhstan theory to my ultimate test, so I'm taking Sergei Morozov by decision. So let's move on to the next fight on this early prelims kind of portion of the card uh, before we work our way into the preliminary card, which has some really exciting fights. Uh, but this is an underrated early prelims. There are some really fun fights coming up, including this one next, which is going to be an incredibly fun welterweight showdown between AJ Dobson from the Contender Series 
and Jacob Melkoon on a night full of Kiwi and Aussie fighters with ties to the main event title fight. We have got Jacob Malkoon, who has strong ties as a training partner to Robert Whittaker. So we've seen Blood Diamond, who has ties to Izzy early on this card. Now we get to see Jacob Malkoon. He's going to be looking for a huge showing. And like Blood Diamond, who wants to start his night off on the right foot for his team, Malkoon is going to want to do the exact same. He's also going to want to make things right for himself, uh, really work his way into the picture. Actually, I think this might be uh, middleweight action. Let me just double check. My apologies. I might have had a slip of the tongue. Let's just have a quick look. Again, I could edit it, but this is just my unfiltered one for the prelims. So uh, it is middleweight action. My apologies. I just realized I remembered that uh, Malkoon is a middleweight because he's in the same division as Robert Whittaker and Israel Adesanya, which is another really interesting note. So we've got some middleweight action between AJ Dobson and a man who has been partaking in wrestling sessions with the current NRL premiers, the Penrith Panthers, in Australia's Jacob Melkoon. It's going to be the official UFC debut of the standout Dana White Contender Series graduate, AJ Dobson. Now, AJ had earned stoppages in all but one of his six wins. And on the other side, you've got Malkoon. Of course, he trains with Robert Whittaker. He's hoping some of the greatness rubs off on him. Obviously, he's got some kind of skills as well to be called into camp, to be working with Whittaker. It's going to be Malkoon's third time appearing in the UFC. Now, Jacob is going to want to start the night on a high note for his team and specifically himself and Robert Whittaker, who's going to be gunning for the championship in the main event. Now, AJ Dobson had an electric contender series debut. The way he came out swinging really excited me. He also chased the submission plenty of times. So I think this fight has potential to be fight of the night. Uh, if I could place money on that, I'd probably consider this as a dark horse value bet for fight of the night. Uh, but you can't bet money on it, unfortunately. But I will be on Twitch this weekend with JJ. Uh, and we will be going through the whole card. So I'm excited to watch it play out. And this is one of my early kind of fight of the night predictions or performance of the night. You've got the Ohio native in AJ Dobson. Now his last fight was the Dana White's Contender Series win last year. Where he earned himself a UFC contract with the impressive round one submission victory over Hashem Akala. Now, AJ Dobson's professional career contains six wins, zero losses, and one no contest. So, Dobson has had five straight wins. He also had a 6-0 amateur career. So, if you tally AJ Dobson's professional and amateur records, then he currently sits at 12 wins, zero losses, and one no contest, which is very impressive. 12 wins from 13 appearances for AJ. And he is yet to taste defeat. The closest he's been is a no contest, which is better than a draw, I guess. So his wins include three knockouts. AJ has also had two submissions. That is a value bet this weekend as well. He was going for the submissions a lot uh, in his submission win over Hashem Akgala on Dana White's Contender Series. And AJ's only had one decision. So he loves to stop the fight early. I think that's what he's going to be aiming for here. In my opinion, he is a future top 15 athlete. The middleweight division are in search of a few more quality guys to fill that top 15 or at least contend for those positions. And I think AJ Dobson is the perfect answer for kind of that void. I think he can fill the void. 
I'm really excited to see what AJ Dobson can do this weekend. And the 30-year-old will be representing strong style fight team. AJ is also going to have a pretty decent size advantage in this fight, which I think plays into his hands beautifully. Uh, Now looking at his opponent, Jacob Malkoon, nicknamed Mamba, he is only 26 years old, so still very young, still yet to reach his physical peak. Uh, And if he can get a win here, then all of a sudden he can start pushing toward being a contender. And wouldn't it be interesting, uh, given the Izzy dynamic and the Robert Whittaker dynamic in the main event, if Jacob Malkoon can start making a run at middleweight, there could be some potential very interesting matchups along the way. So that's a note. Uh, Jacob is from Sydney in Australia. Now he went 4-0 to start his professional career, but then in his UFC debut, very disappointing. In 2020, he was knocked out by Phil Hawes in 18 seconds in what was a hugely emphatic finish for Hawes and a really devastating loss for Jacob Malkoon, especially in his UFC debut with a lot of hype surrounding him, just considering his relationship with Robert Whittaker. Malkoon did bounce back in April last year though, defeating Abdul Razak Al-Hassan by a decision. His association is with the PMA Super Martial Arts Gym, and you of course have to factor in the Whitaker factor, uh, how working with Whitaker is obviously going to up, up Malkoon's game. Whitaker has fought in the UFC in the highest pressure environment, so he's going to have a lot of useful advice. And this is going to be AJ Dobson's official promotional debut. So nerves are real. We don't know what both men are going to be feeling like or thinking heading into the fight. We don't know any of this stuff on fight week. We just have to assume... We know what's going to happen in the octagon, but we never truly do. Uh, That's why it takes me a while to try and work out what I think is going to go down. Uh, But if AJ Dobson has the slightest nerves in front of this huge crowd, then Jacob Malkoon has been there before. He's worked under Robert Whittaker, and that could really play into his hands. Now, Malkoon has a record of five wins and one loss. The one loss, of course, being the 18-second knockout loss to Phil Hawes. Mamba Malkoon's wins include two knockouts and three decisions. So as far as the stylistic matchup, I cannot envision this fight going the distance. Both men are going to be looking to score the stoppage in my opinion. And Dobson especially is lethal. He's equally as dangerous on the feet as he is the ground and in submission situations. So I think there are a lot of ways that AJ Dobson can stop this fight. Uh, I think Malkoon's going to be trying to knock him out. I think we will see some wild exchanges on the feet. But don't be surprised if AJ Dobson tries to prove his superiority in the grappling exchanges and tries to lock up a submission. Now, they are middleweights, so they've got very heavy hands. I've loved what I've seen from AJ Dobson. Of course, I wonder about Malkoon's durability after getting knocked out so brutally by Phil Hawes in 18 seconds. But sometimes if the punch lands in the right spot, then... There's not much you can do. So this is a fight I am really, really keen for. We've, of course, got the middleweights in the main event. So this is a really big night for the middleweights. Huge debut for AJ Dobson and a huge opportunity for Jacob Melkoon to really start to make his mark in the UFC, not just be the guy who's perceived to be here, just riding Whitaker's coattails. So massive fight for both men. I'm really excited for it. It does have a fight of the night kind of potential feel for it. But there are a lot of great fights along this card too. 
Having a look at the betting market now, and it is very close in the market. Of course, I am betting with uh, Ladbrokes, so I don't usually uh, mention it. Once someone wants to fucking sponsor, uh, then I don't need to tell you what drinks I'm drinking, or uh, unless it's like worthwhile, like it's a local drink or something worth celebrating. But I'm not here to be plugging products and shit or promoting betting. Uh, I just I like to bet on these fights. It's a fun aspect of it. Uh, and because this is in Australia, do keep in mind that maybe some of the market is swinging because of a lot of Australians are backing in their local hero in Jacob Malkoon. But AJ Dobson is still the favorite just. So this could definitely fluctuate heading toward the weekend. AJ Dobson is the favorite at $1.87. Uh, and Jacob Malkoon is just close, very close behind at $1.94. So I think this is going to be a really close battle that kind of plays into my thoughts of maybe this could be a fight of the night contender. Uh, and yeah, very close in the market. I will be jumping into the method of victories in the main card because that is one of my favorite parts to bet on because that is where a lot of the value lays. Uh, but in terms of my official prediction for this middleweight fight, I'm going to be taking AJ Dobson by knockout. So I think he can get it done. I think decision is also a likely bet, but I think he can get the stoppage. I think he's got really heavy hands. I like him in the exchanges. And I was really just, I'm still worried with the Phil Hawes performance from Mel Coon. So at the moment, I have it as a torrid night for us Australasian fans if we're to go down 2-0 early, which is what I think. I think Blood Diamond is going to lose I hope he doesn't. Like, I'm going to be cheering on uh, the Australians and the Kiwis, but I try to keep this unbiased and give what I truly think is going to happen once I've studied the tape and things like that. So my official prediction, I'm taking AJ Dobson by knockout. He is a prospect that I'm going to be keeping a close eye on, and I'm going to be backing him to get the stoppage finish. As I said, submission is a chance too. So if you're betting, I'd take AJ Dobson head-to-head, the value is there in the market. It's very close. So if you stack a bit on head to head, plus if you go, will the fight go the distance and bet on no, I think there's money to be made in both of those avenues. So really excited, uh, excited for that fight. And another fight that I am excited for features another Australasian fighter, a guy from my hometown of Auckland, New Zealand. We have got the Kiwi Carlos Ulberg up against Fabio Charant in light heavyweight action. Two renowned fight finishes squaring off to determine who is the far superior of the two in the striking department. Uh, I think Ulberg's going to come out with some really heavy shots. And Charant is a really quality submission specialist too. So he may look for the takedowns and both men's kind of strength and conditioning has come into question in the past, so that's going to be an aspect of this fight too. We've got the City Kickboxing star in Carlos Ulberg, who has shown plenty of promise throughout the early stages of his MMA career. Carlos is going to be looking to transfer that potential into current day success as he enters his first fight of the 2022 calendar. A win here would set up Ulberg really nicely to chase another couple of victory before the year's out, and I expect Carlos to be really fit and fully focused for this clash as he hopes to capitalize on the momentum and the hype surrounding his team at City Kickboxing this weekend. Ulberg has the power advantage in this fight for mine as well 
and I expect Sharant to find himself in big trouble throughout different stages of this fight if he's not able to kind of get the grappling advantages and work his way with the wrestling and submission attempts. Another very interesting note is that Sharant is 7-0 against non-UFC fighters outside of the UFC, and Sharant is 0-3 since officially debuting for the promotion. Now, I haven't been getting around my fellow Australasians throughout this card so far, so firstly, I'll have a look at Carlos Orberg and really try to highlight some of his strengths. But it must be noted that it's going to be a night full of Kiwi and Aussie fighters with ties to the main event, and they've all got intentions to reach that level someday themselves. Whoa, hectic motorbike. Interesting. Have a listen to that for a second. There you go. Uh, again, prelims main card, I won't be keeping that shit in, but this one, anything can happen. I like the element of mystery. I kind of think it's funny. Uh, so yeah, but the, because of the main event with Adesanya and Whitaker, these Kiwi and Aussie fighters really are going to be motivated to try and get themselves up to that level. It's going to be a huge year for them. Uh, so I think Carlos Allberg is going to come out with everything he has got. He made his official debut last March after a successful Dana White's Contender Series win, which earned him a contract. Uh, and he is 31 years old. Auckland, New Zealand is his hometown, just like mine. Uh, and yeah, just going back to his debut, he lost uh, to Kennedy in Zechuku, which was quite, quite disappointing, to be honest. Uh, and yeah, I think that was his debut. I think I'll get to it a little bit later in this. My apologies. Uh, he is from City Kickboxing, alongside Izzy, alongside Blood Diamond, and he is nicknamed Black Jag. Now, Ulberg's going to have the huge advantage in size, reach, and power, so I'm very excited about his prospects in this fight. As for Fabio Chirant, he is 27 years old, so still very young. Has a great nickname, The Water Buffalo. I like that as a nickname. Uh, his UFC run has included zero wins and he's had two first round losses so really poor start for Sharant. he's going to be aiming to make amends though so you just know that he's going to come out with a much better account of himself he's not going to be the same fabio Sharant that we've seen i think he's going to be a much better version uh, but carlos Orberg looked very impressive in his contender series performance got the knockout very early in the first round he's going to be looking for a very positive 2022 going to be looking to build a streak he's on the same card as Izzy which is really going to motivate him uh, and yeah there's a lot to be excited for in this fight as well as I, I know I've mentioned Kiwis and Aussies a lot but that's kind of the theme of this podcast and I am or this pay-per-view rather and I am a Kiwi and I am an Aussie so I'm really excited this is a major card for me this is one of the big cards of the year just like it, it is a huge card just in the whole scope of the world, but especially for the Australasian fans, this is a really big card. Now, I'm going to jump onto the professional records now. We've got Fabio Charant, who's had seven wins outside of the UFC and three losses. His last two outings were very poor as well. Uh, and if he comes out looking similar to how he has recently, then I think he could get knocked out in the first round, to be honest. Fabio's wins have included five submissions, so largely he wins his fights by submission, which is a real kind of danger point for Carlos Allberg. If he finds himself in those positions, I think he could find himself in a lot of trouble. Uh, and Fabio also has two decisions, so he's never won by knockout. 
He has lost twice by knockout and once by submission. Uh, so that is kind of a stat to worry about as well if you're going to be uh, be backing Sharant in. Uh, and yeah, I'll be, I think I'm going to go against Sharant here, to be honest. I really like Carlos Ulberg. He's a knockout specialist. I'm feeling the first round knockout value bet big time here. Now, Carlos has a professional record of three wins and one loss. Google says five wins, one loss. But everywhere else that I check, there's three wins and one loss. Well, uh, Carlos's wins include two knockouts and one decision. As for Carlos's losses, he's only had one, and that was his knockout loss. That knockout loss took place in Ulberg's most recent outing, so he looked really strong in round one. I loved the look of him. He looked like he was going to get the knockout finish, but he fatigued early in the second round, and that led to a knockout stoppage at the hands of Kennedy in Zedjiku. Ulberg is going to be hoping to bounce back this weekend and get back to his winning ways, and it's a very important night for he and his fellow Kiwi fighters at City Kickboxing. The stylistic matchup is going to be interesting too. You've got the knockout specialist up against the submission specialist. That plays into strategic thinking big time. I think we're going to see a finish here. I do think it would be close and it could go to decision, but both guys are going to be trying to impose themselves. So I don't think this fight will be going to distance. They're both light heavyweights, so they've got heavy hands. Uh, and there's a lot of ways this fight could play out. So I'm sad that the method of victory odds aren't up for these fights yet, but head-to-head, -head, Carlos Ulberg is the heavy favourite. Deservedly so, but also because um, the Kiwi and Aussie factor, a lot of people will be backing him in on the betting markets down here. So Carlos Ulberg is the head-to-head favourite at $1.42, Fabio Charant at $2.90. As for my official prediction, I am taking Carlos Ulberg by knockout in this light heavyweight scrap. I think he's going to get it done, so my prediction for the podcast, Carlos Allberg by knockout at any stage, but my value bet and something I'm going to check, my value bet's usually just $10, I am going to be checking a $10 value bet on Allberg by first round knockout. Really get excited for that first five minutes, I do think he can get it done, I think he can get Sharant out of there within the first five minutes, so I'm going to go a little value bet as well, Carlos Allberg by first round knockout. So I've got the Kiwis on the board finally. So the Australasian fighters have had a bad run of it so far early in my predictions. But I've got the Kiwi Carlos Allberg getting the win with a big knockout. So I'm going to move on now to our next fight, which is another really fun and underrated fight on this card. We have got lightweight action between Alexander the Great Hernandez and Renato Moicano. Now Moicano has seen a lot of success since he's moved back up to lightweight, or I think he just moved up to lightweight. He's been a featherweight, just like Charles Oliveira, by the way. Now, you've got both men coming off the back of big stoppage victories as well in their last outing. Hernandez has bounced between a win and a loss repeatedly since a professional debut for the promotion at UFC 222, where Alexander Hernandez absolutely just murked Benil Dariush, who's the current lightweight contender. I just couldn't believe it when I watched it. Uh, I hadn't seen that fight at the time and he looked young, he looked good, he's every bit the prospect and now he's starting to mature and Alexander Hernandez finds himself in a position now where he's fighting in front of a crowd and this is a really big opportunity for him. If he gets the knockout here then I think they're going to give him a much bigger opponent. Not that Moicano, Moicano is a very 
big name, high level opponent, but there are more out there. Like I think this is really a fight that has rankings implications. Maybe they don't get into the top 15 straight away, but all of a sudden then you're next to fight like some of the top 15 guys, maybe someone uh, from the 11 to 15 mark. So there's some really exciting prospects for both of these guys. And Hernandez is going to be fired up for the knockout. He has had a first round knockout in each of his two uh, two most recent wins. And it's his special, uh, specialty. That's why he's on this pay-per-view card. Dana White doesn't want to have boring fights on the pay-per-views, especially in front of the crowds. They can put them in the apex if they don't think that it's going to be an exciting fight. And Hernandez is such a knockout specialist. So that's why this is on the card. Moicano is a high-level opponent. Both of their strengths and weaknesses really level out. And it's going to be a much tougher assignment this time around for Hernandez because he tends to struggle against high-level grapplers, which is exactly what Moicano is. The 32-year-old Moicano has been reaping the benefits of the move up to 155 pounds. The Brazilian has gone 2-1 and one since moving up a weight class, with Moicano's one loss coming to Rafael Fazeev, who has proven to be one of the division's elite stars. An interesting stat is that all three of Moicano's last three losses have come by way of knockout. Now, Moicano was knocked out by three high-level opponents, Jose, or Jose, sorry, Aldo, the Korean zombie, Rafael Fazeev. So those three names, it just, yeah, they, they, they all kind of make sense in a way. And another stat is that Renato has never won by knockout in his 20-fight professional career. So if you want to go for a knockout bet here, I would not be going with Renato Moicano. I would be going with Alexander Hernandez. If you think this is going to be a finish by knockout, I'd go Hernandez, maybe even by first round. He is coming off a lethal first round stoppage win, and that's what makes this such a great stylistic matchup. Moicano's kryptonite has been his chin, whilst Hernandez's weakness has laid in the grappling exchanges. Both men are up and against an opponent who is primed to exploit their weakness, so this fight intrigues me a lot. Moicano is representing the American top team gym. They've got a lot of people in the UFC. Now Manta Nunes has left. Uh, but they've got a couple of guys on the card from the American top team gym for UFC 271. Moicano is one of them. He's going to have a lot of people working alongside him. He's going to be in the company of a lot of other great fighters. Uh, but I'm always interested because you do know that it's like, because it's such a big gym, how much attention and dedication is focused on Moicano or these other fighters comparatively to maybe like a a Jorge Masvidal and things like that. So it is a really interesting aspect, but he's going to be in one of the best gyms in the world. The only question is, uh, how does his opponent's gym stack up? Alexander Hernandez, what's his mindset? What's he going to bring that maybe American top team haven't had the time or resources? Well, I guess they have a lot of resources, but They've got a lot of people to attend to. They've got a lot of fighters to look after and prepare. So that's an interesting stat. And one thing I'll be looking at when this fight takes place uh, and kind of observing. And if Moicano can have a really big win, then that will boost up American top team even higher, in my opinion, which I already think very highly of them. But yeah, that, then all of a sudden I would be able to really respect some of their lower level fighters, or not lower level, that's disrespectful, but like the guys like who aren't main eventing or going for championships, and the girls. 
Uh, and Boycano fits into kind of that middle category where he is a massive star. They'll be working really hard with him. But the American top team theory is going to come into a bit of a test this weekend as well. Alexander the Great Hernandez is 29 years old. His gym is Factory X. So it's going to be Factory X up against the American top team gym. Now, neither of these men currently sit inside the division's top 15, but they're sitting just outside and a win here could majorly boost their chances of breaking into the rankings this year. Hernandez 2021 record, he first appeared in February, he lost via decision to Thiago Moises, and then in October he came back, bounced back with a huge round one knockout win over Mike Breeden. As for Moicano, the Brazilian only fought once in 2021, defeating Jay Herbert by way of submission. Both fighters are going to be looking to pick up their second straight win and build momentum inside of a stacked lightweight division. So a great fight is on the way this weekend. I cannot wait for it. We've got Renato Moicano with a professional record of 15 wins, 4 losses and 1 draw. Now Moicano has never won by knockout, but he has won 8 times by submission. So that's a huge stat. If you love some value, then I'd be looking at Moicano by decision this weekend. Uh, and seven decision victories for Moicano as well. So having a quick look at uh, Hernandez, he has lost twice by submission. So that's a bit of a worry in this fight, that Hernandez's weakness could be exploited here. Now, Moicano's losses, he's been knocked out three times by very high-level opponents, and he has been submitted once. As for Alexander the Great Hernandez, he has 13 wins, 4 losses. His wins include 6 knockouts, all of which have been highlight really big time knockouts. 2 submission wins for... Um, oh, sorry, I reread, I read that wrong. Uh, so Hernandez hasn't ever been submitted. He's had 2 submission wins, my apologies. Uh, I will be editing these main card ones better. But I'm just, this is unfiltered, I'm just going for it because my housemate's home and he's about to blast music, so i got to just get through this. Um, and yeah, so Moicano has the eight submissions, but Hernandez has never been submitted. He's won twice by submission, so Hernandez has never been submitted. He's won five times by decision, and his two losses uh, by knockout or stoppage were to Drew Dober and Cowboy Cerrone, both by knockout. Hernandez has also lost twice by decision. Now the stylistic matchup, it's going to be Hernandez, the knockout specialist, known for huge knockouts like his murking of Benil Dariush, uh, up against a really tricky grappler submission artist in Hernato Moicano. Hernandez has had a torrid time since his successful UFC debut, but he's still young and Alex seems as though he's working into his physical prime this year and beyond. Alex's downfall has been up against grapplers, which is what makes Renato Moicano the perfect opponent for Hernandez. The same can be said for Moicano, with three of his four losses coming by way of knockout. It's going to be a significant battle coming up this weekend, and the closer we get to the card, the more I get excited about this fight. Having a look at the betting market now, and Renato Moicano is the favorite at $1.60, there, is a, or there are a heap of value options in terms of betting this weekend on underdogs. Alexander Hernandez is definitely another one of those at $2.35. If you want to make a quick buck, I'd be looking at Hernandez by knockout. I think he can absolutely get it done. Hernando Moicano, though, the favorite at $1.60. 
So the punters seem to like him in terms of how they think this one is going to go down. Now, as for my prediction, I've ummed and ahed about this. I can definitely see Alexander Hernandez getting a performance of the night knockout, but I'm going to be backing in Moicano here. Uh, I guess you could say the American top team theory, uh, and I also just rate him just that little bit more highly than Hernandez. I think the move to lightweight is going to prove very fruitful for him. So in this lightweight encounter, I am going to be taking Hernato Moicano by decision. So moving on now, and just a quick side note, I really, really hope I can get a lot of these right. I've been winning some money, uh, and it, I want to keep this good form going. I want to make it consistent uh, so we can all enjoy some spoils, hopefully. Uh, you don't have to bet on it either, but hopefully this just gives you some extra insight into each of the fights. So Hanato Moicano by decision in that lightweight fight. Moving on to our next early prelims fight. And coming up next, we're going to be treated to some fireworks in the bantamweight division as local hero Mana Martinez takes on Ronnie Lawrence. This is another fun one for the card. We're going to have two very high energy fighters who are going to fight at an exciting pace. And I expect this to be one of the underrated bangers on this card. In my opinion, a lot of people are going to remember the name Ronnie Lawrence after this fight as well. I think he's a standout competitor and one to watch in the bantamweight division, although it is very stacked and there are plenty of names and prospects all throughout the UFC to keep an eye on. The crowd are going to be behind the local from Houston, Texas. We've got Mana Martinez, but for mine, Ronnie Lawrence is the man to beat in this fight. Lawrence has high expectations on his shoulders, with President Dana White labelling Ronnie as a special talent. Is Ronnie a dark horse to push for the top 15 this year? That's one thing that I wonder. I think potentially if he can get a win here and a good one and then another couple, then all of a sudden he could find himself inside the top 15 and be matched up with some really big names. I'll have a quick look now at the Houston native, Mana Martinez, and it's going to be a huge occasion for him in front of his home crowd who are going to be wild for this clash. His nickname is Mana Boy, Mana Martinez. He is 25 years old, so still very young. Uh, and his UFC debut, he won by split decision after the passing of his coach uh, very shortly before that. And it was a really emotional win. So I think he's going to take a lot from that. And he's a very, very dangerous opponent for someone like Ronnie Lawrence. Now, Mana is from Houston, Texas, which is where this card is going to be taking place. And he also has a size advantage in his favor. So I think he's going to be really pushing the pace, putting a lot of pressure on Ronnie Lawrence. And this is a big fight in front of a crowd. We haven't really seen much of what these guys can do in front of a packed crowd. So I think this is going to be hugely exciting. They're going to be going wild for Mana Martinez. And Ronnie Lawrence is going to be wanting to steal that hype, get the win. And people will be remembering his name coming out of the fight. Now, Ronnie Lawrence is 29 years old, nicknamed The Heat, so you just know he's going to be bringing plenty of heat in this fight himself. And like Hanato Moicano beforehand, he is from the American Top Team Gym, so that's another kind of thing. I know they know that he's a very standout prospect, so they will be paying a lot of attention and time to him, but once again, an American Top Team athlete who isn't in a main event or championship fight. How are they going to perform against someone like Mana Martinez, who is a li little bit more of an unknown entity? Uh, and how's his gym going to 
prepare, you know? What resources do they have to prepare him for Ronnie Lawrence and what Ronnie is going to bring? Now, Ronnie is chasing his fifth straight win this weekend, which would surely propel him into the conversation as far as the top 15 goes, or at least getting a top 15 opponent next up. Ronnie defeated Vince Cachero in his official promotional debut, getting the stoppage and finishing the fight with a round 3 TKO win. As for Martinez, the Houston fighter was riding a 5 fight win streak outside of the UFC, defeating names like the current Ultimate Fighter bantamweight king Ricky Tercios. Martinez would be given the chance to earn a contract with the UFC in 2020 on Dana White's Contender Series, but Martinez had a shocking display in that fight being submitted in the first round by a really quality fighter, Draco Rodriguez. Since that loss, Martinez has gone 3-0, including a split decision win in his UFC debut over Guido Canetti in August 2021. That was a very emotionally charged win too, uh, with the passing of his coach. He was in tears after. Uh, and now let's see him push forward. Hopefully he can have a great performance, give the best account of himself, uh, his coach would be incredibly proud to see that he is on a card of this caliber, uh, of this caliber, sorry, up against an opponent of Ronnie Lawrence's standing. So it's going to be a great night. And just quickly looking at their pro records, Mano Martinez has nine wins, two losses. Ronnie Lawrence has seven wins and one loss. So very even records there. Read into that what you will. As for the win methods. Mana is very impressive in the knockout category. Eight knockout victories, one decision. So eight of nine wins for Mana Martinez by knockout. He's going to be in front of the Houston crowd. This is going to be wild. This is really exciting. This is why I like to delve into these fights, go a little bit further, because the further you go into these styles of the fighters and all the backstory, the more exciting these fights truly are. That's why I like to do this podcast and get the previews and predictions out there. It had been a while, I had to change platform for the podcast, so it's great to finally do another preview and predictions. Hopefully you're enjoying it and learning a few things as well about these fighters that gets you excited for the bout. So, Mana Martinez, eight knockout wins, one decision. As for Mana's losses, he has had one submission loss and one decision, so he is yet to be knocked out in his professional career. As for Ronnie Lawrence, the American top team athlete's wins include four knockouts and three decisions. So he's yet to get the submission finished. Uh, And he's got four knockouts, but Mana's never been knocked out. He's been submitted once, but Ronnie has never won by submission. So maybe this one's going to go to decision, but there could be a very surprising finish from either guy. They're both capable of unbelievable stoppages. So it's going to be a cracker fight. I'm very excited for Mana Martinez and Ronnie Lawrence in the bantamweight division. Now, Ronnie has only lost once, and that was via decision, so he's yet to be stopped in his professional career, which is Mana's specialty with eight knockouts. So, yeah, it's a beautiful stylistic matchup. I can't wait to see it take place. Just taking a look at the betting market now. Ronnie Lawrence is the very heavy favorite. I do think that's kind of fair. Uh, $1.36 for Ronnie Lawrence, and for Mana Martinez, $3.15. I'm tossing up whether to go decision or whether to go knockout. I'm going to take, for my official prediction in this bantamweight fight, I'm just not going to hesitate. I'm going to back, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think he can definitely get the knockout. 
If you want a value bet, go Ronnie Lawrence by knockout. I'm going to take Ronnie Lawrence by decision here. So I'm not super confident about this one. I do think he'll get the win, but I think he's very likely to get the stoppage victory as well. But I'm going to stick with Ronnie Lawrence by decision. Uh, I think if it's a very tight contest, which it very well may be, then I think Ronnie Lawrence is going to lean on his wrestling. I think he's going to dominate the first couple of rounds. If he doesn't get knocked out, that's the... If he can avoid getting knocked out, then I basically think Ronnie Lawrence has all the tools to get through to a decision victory. I also think he can get the stoppage, but I'm hoping he can win the first two rounds uh, and then maybe kind of cool his jets a little bit in the third round. Fatigue sets in and just grind out that decision win. So I'm going to be taking Ronnie Lawrence over Manu Martinez, who is the Houston favorite, the local, but I'm taking the Tennessee native, Ronnie Lawrence by decision. So that's why I'm picking him. I just think he can get it done. I do worry that he's going to get the stoppage in terms of my bet, but I also do head-to-heads. Head-to-heads, I've been doing really well. I was like 11-2 and on the last UFC card last weekend. So head-to-head, I've been pretty sound. So I do think Ronnie Lawrence is going to get the win, but I'm not super confident about the decision method victory. But I'm going to play it safe, take the decision win for Ronnie this weekend so that was kind of the early prelim sector we now have four fights on the preliminary card which they're kind of a separate thing i'm sure you know if you're a ufc fan and there are some very exciting fights coming up casey o'neill the highlight that i really want to talk about a little bit later another australian fighter on this card and one in the flyweight division that i really think could be a future challenger for valentina shevchenko so that's going to be really exciting. In the featured prelim, we have Andre Arlovsky, who has been on a really decent run considering his age. He's another American top team fighter. So I'll jump into a couple of those fights a bit later on. But first up, I'm going to jump into the opening fight of the prelims card. And this one interests me. I've been umming and ahhing. It's light heavyweight action. And I've been going back and forth. I've been struggling to go like pick my winner here. I think in terms of betting, don't bet the house on this one because either way, this has potential to be one of those fights where I go one way and it totally burns me. So this is going to be a close fight. I'm going to jump into it now. It is the opening fight of the preliminary card at UFC 271 in Houston, Texas. And we have got a light heavyweight fight that I am finding really difficult to pick my prediction for. This is one that could definitely go either way. I feel like whichever way I go, I'm going to get burnt here, but I'm going to do my best. This one, definitely proceed with caution if you're betting. Uh, It's going to be light heavyweight action between William Nightmare Knight and Maxim Grishin. So that's going to be kicking off the preliminary card. Now, originally it was supposed to be Ed Herman up against Grishin, but Herman is out. So the Nightmare William Knight steps up on short notice jumping at the opportunity to perform in front of a heaving Houston crowd. William Knight has only been fighting professionally for three and a half years, and he is already competing on the biggest stage. Knight's explosive athleticism cannot be denied, and his untapped potential has plenty of fight pundits excited about his prospects going forward. On the other side of the cage is the Russian Maxim Grishin, a 37-year-old veteran with over 40 professional fights under his belt. Grishin entered the UFC as somewhat of a journeyman with a record standing at 30 wins, 
seven losses and two draws before he entered the UFC. The experienced Grishin is most definitely Knight's sternest test to date, and it remains to be seen exactly how these two stars will match up once they're inside the octagon. Maxim Grishin has faced a really high level of competition. He had a run with the PFL, uh, did really well there. Uh, and I'm a fan of his. He's really big for the light heavyweight division too, which is a factor. I think that could really factor in if he's looking for the finish here. Uh, and he's definitely going to have an advantage in this fight because he is significantly bigger than his opponent in William Knight. Now, I've already touched earlier on my Kazakhstan theory. Uh, there's also a Russian theory myself and my friend JJ came up with where kind of people from harder upbringings and things like that usually make for better fighters. So the Russian theory is going to come into play this weekend. We're going to get to test that theory as well. Can Maxim Grishin get the win in a really tight contest, which I'm on the fence about? Uh, I've backed the Kazakhstan theory in against what I was my gut was telling me. Uh, but this fight is even trickier to predict. So it's more tricky than the other fight to predict and I really don't know which way I'm going to go but the Russian theory does come into it and kind of leans me towards Maxim Grishin. Now he didn't arrive in the UFC until later in his career but he stepped up when he was given the chance to debut with the UFC on late notice at heavyweight so he's at light heavyweight now so that's upper division at heavyweight and he lost to the Polishman Marcin Tybura. Now, the first win for Maxim was in October 2020 with a TKO win over Gadsmarad Antigulov at the end of the second round in Grishin's second UFC appearance. Now, after that was a really close loss to uh, just Dustin, not Justin, that's <laughs> a tricky one to mix up, Dustin Jacoby, not Justin Jacoby. Uh, Dustin Jacoby, he defeated Maxim Grishin by decision in February last year, but that was a very close contest. And Jacoby looks like he's a real prospect at light heavyweight as well. Uh, so there's not a lot of shame in losing to him, but it would have been good for Christian's resume if he was able to get the job done. Now for William Knight, he enters his fight on a two-fight win streak. He had three fights in 2021 after a largely successful 2020 campaign that saw William Knight earn a UFC contract on Dana White's Contender Series. That was followed up in 2020 by a statement victory in his promotional debut over Alexa Kamur. Now in 2021, William Knight started his year with a decision loss to Da Eun Jung. Uh, that was an unfortunate way to start his year in April. But the nightmare bounced back in August with a round one knockout over Fabio Charant, who is on this card facing Carlos Alberg a little bit lower down uh, on this prelims card. So he knocked out Fabio Charant in round one, and then he followed that up in December. So pretty recently, he got the decision win over Alonzo Minefield. So really, really good form from William Knight. He's going to be hoping to keep it up and make it three in a row, which would position him to be able to make a real genuine run for the rankings uh, at light heavyweight. So it's exciting times for William Knight. But for Maxim Grishin, if he can get the win here, then he's going to steal that thunder and he's going to be able to work his way up the card in similar fashion. Now, there's been a higher level of activity as the Nightmare looks to build on his impressive second half of 2021. He's been up and about. He's been performing as often as possible. I think that kind of plays into his hands here, but he does give up a major sides advantage. Now, both men kind of have a short notice preparation here, or not kind of, they do. 
especially William Knight, who's taken this fight on short notice. Uh, but for Grishin as well, he was preparing for Ed Herman. And honestly, I think uh, William Knight could be a more difficult assignment. So both men with short notice, uh, not a lot of time to prepare for each other. This is going to be a really interesting fight to see their game plans. Uh, does this go to decision or are we going to see a stoppage? Uh, I can see either man winning by decision, but honestly, with this Houston crowd, I am backing in quite a few finishes on this card. I'm really feeling it. I'm manifesting some finishes into existence. I'm going to be putting my money where my mouth is as well. Uh, but this one could be one that's definitely up for discussion as far as decision goes. So I am going to keep that in mind before I make my official prediction. Now we've got William Knight, nicknamed Nightmare. He is 33 years old, so you could probably say that he's just about to reach or is reaching his physical prime. So now is the perfect time to make a run. Now Knight is from Hartford, Connecticut. And his association is with Thornton Martial Arts. There's going to be a huge size advantage for Grishin, who he could be fighting at heavyweight if he desired. So William Knight is giving up a massive size advantage. Uh, I'm not too sure about the power though, but I'm going to say there's going to be a lot of power in Grishin's punches too. But what's the weight cut going to be like? Not exactly sure. These are some things that can come into play when it's such a tight contest. How has Christian's weight cut affected him? And William Knight looks shredded. Like, I'm sure he has to cut weight. I'm not exactly sure what the go is, but he looks shredded out of his mind. So I'm going to say they're going to fatigue a little bit earlier into the contest. So I'm going to be backing a stoppage in here. I think they will fatigue. And eventually, if someone can get that upper hand in the strength and conditioning department, then I think they're going to be able to secure the stoppage finish. Now we've got Maxim Grishin, his nickname is Maximus, 37 years old, so he's a little bit older than William Knight. Uh, so if, if now's the time for Knight to make his run, then it, even more so for Maxim Grishin. Uh, he's closer to the end of his career than the beginning, so now's the time if he wants to do something really special. And this is a great opportunity on a UFC pay-per-view in front of this huge Houston sold-out crowd. Uh, so Maxim Grishin, a huge opportunity for him at 37 years old this weekend, representing Russia. Now, his professional record is 31 wins, 9 losses, and Maxim has also had 2 draws in his professional career. So there's a lot of experience for the Russian to draw on, up against his much less experienced opponent in William Knight. Now, for Grishin's wins, he has 16 knockout wins, so Maxim Grishin is absolutely a knockout specialist. That's what leads me to believe either way that we are going to see a finish in this fight. Although I always love looking at how the fighters have lost in terms of the losses on their record. So I'll get to that in a moment. But 16 knockout wins from 32 wins for Maxim Grishin. He's also had six submission victories, so he could take it there if necessary. And he's fought out nine decision wins. So this could still definitely go to decision, but the predominant method of victory for Maxim Grishin has been knockout. And on the big stage, UFC uh, in Houston, I just think it's going to be such a big occasion. So I'm leaning towards both guys going hard for the stoppage. Maybe we even see a round one finish. I'm really not sure with this fight. That's why I'm saying proceed with caution. But Grishin is well versed at getting the victory in a variety of different situations. So... That is a note as well. We haven't seen William Knight uh, kind of go through that depth and fight that many fights to gauge such an idea on exactly the way kind of they have been beaten and they've won. 
But William Knight has still fought in 13 fights with a record of 11 wins and 2 losses. Now, William Knight's losses include one knockout, so it's definitely a possibility that Maxim Grisham could knock him out as well, especially with the huge size advantage. And William Knight has also lost once by decision, so he's never been submitted. Now, as for the Nightmare's wins, he has nine knockouts. So both guys predominantly are knockout artists. That's what we can be expecting here. That's what we have to look forward to. I think one of them is going to get it, but flip a coin. Honestly, just flip a coin. Uh, It could go either way. I really am just still on the fence. So William Knight with nine knockout wins from his 11 career victories. And he's also had two decision wins. So he's never been submitted, but he's also never secured a submission finish. So probably stay away from submission in terms of your betting. And honestly, I'm thinking stay away from decision, but I could eat my words here. This could be a really close fight. Uh, but I think either way, I just, I'm not confident in which way I'm going. That's the thing. Uh, and I'm thinking about changing it, but I'm just going to stick with my gut as far as this one goes. So the stylistic matchup, you've got two powerful high level strikers. They are going to be going to war, looking to knock each other out. And it is a fight that is bound to be stopped before the conclusion of round three. I think the fight doesn't go the distance. I think I will be putting that bet on. Both competitors possess such heavy hands, and it's going to be a really exciting race to see who can score the knockout stoppage first, or are they going to be dead even, and is there going to be no knockout? What's going to happen? That is the beauty of fighting. That is what we have to look forward to this weekend. I cannot wait. Honestly, I love the prelims. I love every fight on the pay-per-view. I get up. That's why I do the whole... I do my prelims predictions as well. I love it all. So I'll be up from the first fight. I will have my money on the first fight. And we will go from there all the way through the main event and including this great light heavyweight fight between Maxim Grishin and William Knight. So I'm going to take a look at the betting market now. I think we may have method of victory predictions now. So I'll just suss that out. Quickly sussing that out. And then I'm going to make my official prediction for this fight. Uh, Okay, so William Knight versus Maxim Grishin. Maxim Grishin is the pretty sizable favorite, much like he is in terms of the size advantage, uh, at $1.55. With William Knight, a pretty nice value, but not trustworthy, I guess you could say. Not... Not a lock as an underdog value pick, but definitely there's money to be made if William Knight presents his best version of himself this weekend. Uh, William Knight, $2.50. So even head-to-head on both guys, there's a bit of value there. Now, methods of victory, we do have them. Maxim Grishin to win by decision. That is actually the most likely outcome. So I've been saying I think there's going to be a stoppage. Uh, the most likely outcome, according to the betting market, is that Maxim Grishin wins this by decision, uh, which I tell you what, that is not the way I will be going in this fight. Now, for Maxim Grishin to score the submission, like I said, probably not going to happen. $12, but could happen. That's more of a value bet. I don't think Knight will get the submission. That's $15. But Grishin, $12 is actually a big value bet. Maybe consider that one. Maybe actually consider that one. Uh, decision, of course, $2.50. But Maxim Grishin, I think if he's going to get it done, why not add a 17th knockout to his professional record? $4.20, $4.20. That is an omen bet if you want to go down that path. 
Uh, and yeah, $4.20, uh, that's really healthy. Those are really healthy odds. You could whack a fair bit of money on there. And yeah, if you're confident that Maxim Christian can get the knockout, then those are really nice odds. I've been enjoying the odds a lot for this card. And I've been having a dabble and having a look at which way I'm going to go in a lot of fights. And we have the methods of victory now, which are such a great part of it. Now for William Knight, oh, if draw is $51 as well, why not? Uh, chuck like $1,000 on that. Now William Knight to win by decision, $6.50. I actually don't mind that if this does go to decision. I think William Knight could ground out the win in a really an interesting fashion. Um, so yeah, $6.50, not bad odds to win by submission, $15. And William Knight to win by knockout, $4. So either way, if you want to go either man to get the knockout, that would probably be my tip. Although the most likely says that Maxim Grishin by decision I'm thinking either man by knockout, but I've got to make a prediction for this podcast. UFC 271, opening up this def- uh, second segment of the preliminary card. We have light heavyweight action between Maxim Grishin, William Knight. I am going to be taking William Knight. I'll be jumping on him at $4. $4, sorry for screaming that. Uh, $4 for the knockout. So I'm going to be jumping on William Knight, an underdog. Not the first or the last that I'll be jumping on. Uh, In the UFC, I've had some success with my underdog picks. William Knight is going to hopefully be getting another one of those, but it is risky. I have no confidence in this bet, but it's the one I'm making. $4. I like the odds. I like both guys for the knockout. Maxim Grishin, $4.20. Really nice odds as well. But I don't know why. If you ask me right now, honestly, I don't exactly know why, but... I'm going to be taking William Knight by knockout. There are a variety of ways this one can go, so consider your options. I hope everything I've told you has helped with the decision-making process. Uh, And yeah, enjoy the fight. This one is going to be a really good one. And yeah, in this light heavyweight bout, I am taking William Nightmare Knight by knockout. So now I'm going to move on to the next fight in the flyweight division. And I'd actually already done this... Fight and it's been rescheduled. Now I thought about playing the old thing off my phone because in moving podcla- uh, podcast podcast platforms, I had to delete some storage space. So unfortunately, I no longer have the clip to put in for this fight. Uh, and yeah, I was going to play it off my phone, but you know what? I think for the, just the overall quality of the podcast, and I'm really excited to move on to the next fight as well. Not that I'm not excited about this fight. I did a big preview for this one. I really jumped into it. This is going to be one of the fights of the night. Flyweight action, Alex Perez and Matt Schnell. I'm just going to list my prediction right out there uh, for this one. So a real quick one here. I'm going to be taking Alex Perez over Matt Schnell. And I'm going to be taking him by submission. So I'll check the betting odds. Um, I'll do that for you. So I'm taking Alex Perez by submission. I don't think I've taken a submission so far on this card. So... Yeah, there's got to be one, right? There's got to be one somewhere. Maybe uh, Renato Moicano, he could be an option. But Alex Perez, he's a really heavy favorite at $1.22 over Matt Schnell, who there's a lot of value in Matt Schnell at $4. I'll be honest there. Uh, consider consider your options. Don't parlay Alex Perez into too many multis just because he's at $1.22. I think he should be the favorite, but I don't think that reflects the true nature of how close this contest is going to be. 
So if Alex Perez to win, $1.22 head-to-head. Uh, most likely way for Perez to win knockout, $2.85. Uh, to win by decision, Perez is at $3.30. So all of these odds are way better. It's like if you pick Perez head-to-head, there's no value. But if you choose how he wins, there is a ton of value here. So that would be my pick in terms of the betting. Uh, Perez to win by submission, $4.33. Now, Matt Schnell by submission, $11. Take KO, $12, which Matt Schnell... There's some value there. I'm not going to be placing any bonus bets on him, but I can see myself getting burned here for choosing Alex Perez by dis- uh, submission, not decision, sorry. Uh, I can see myself getting burned here, so do consider Matt Schnell. If you love an underdog bet and a bit of value, Matt Schnell could be the pick of the card. We saw Victor Henry against Roni Barcelos Bas- uh, on the last pay-per-view and how that went out, or how that went down, sorry. And the underdogs can do it. The big... Ruffies and outsiders can definitely do it. So Matt Schnell is a huge chance, but I'm going to be taking Alex Perez by submission. $4.33 odds. So I'm hoping I can make a bit of bank on that. Uh, I'm not putting extreme amounts on it. You know, I have to work for this money. But I've been making a bit of money now, and I'm hoping hopefully these tips can help people do the same. Uh, And it's not like a money scheme, you know, this isn't about the money, this is about the UFC. I want this to be something mainly just about for UFC fans to enjoy, to get pumped up about the card. Uh, But I do hope to get these tips out there. I study a lot of tape to try and get these right. And I'm taking Alex Perez by submission over Matt Schnell. So moving on, and we have two fights to go in this prelims podcast, and then Separately, I will be doing my main card podcast. So two fights to go on this podcast. Thank you so much for listening up until this point. And up next, it is the fight that I am most excited for on this prelims card. It is Roxanne Modafferi, the happy warrior, the retiring warrior. Uh, Someone who has dethroned a few hype trains or derailed, I guess is a better way to say it. Derailed a few hype trains like Macy the Future Barber. Uh, Casey O'Neill is on a similar trajectory, her opponent, the Australian, uh, but Roxanne Modafferi is really a, an interesting one to break down. Super durable, really hard to finish, goes to a lot of decisions, whereas Casey O'Neill, the Australian, looks a real prospect in the division. Uh, yeah, I cannot wait to get into this one. This is going to be one of the fights on this entire stacked card that I am most excited for. Now, Derek Lewis tied to Ivasa, uh, Robert Whitaker, <clears throat> Israel Adesanya, deservedly, the two ones I am most excited for. But this one is right up there. I'm actually a huge fan of Roxanne Modafferi. I think she's really wholesome. Uh, and I enjoy watching her fight. It's always interesting. It's always different. And I have huge raps on Casey O'Neill. She, along with uh, Manon Fior, are the two flyweights that I'm like, these two are the ones I think in the short term or a little bit longer term can challenge Valentina Shevchenko because that is what the champ is looking for. Casey O'Neill looks every bit the potential challenger and this is a huge opportunity for her to state her case. I think she's going to do exactly that, but it's a really tricky one. Roxanne Modafferi is a really difficult stylistic matchup for her. So I'm going to jump into it now. It is the fight that I'm most excited for on the preliminary card as women's flyweights Roxanne Modafferi and the Australian Casey O'Neill do battle.
So the next two fights are really intriguing in terms of the discrepancy in experience between the fighters. This fight in particular sees two highly skilled athletes at complete opposite ends of their careers. On one side you've got the crafty veteran in Modafferi and she's set to call it a day after their fight this weekend and she's retiring, she has been around for ages. I don't know if she's the most experienced woman in mixed martial arts but if she's not she's definitely right up there so she's been around for a hot minute she's calling it a day Modafferi is going to retire uh, whilst King Casey is 8 and 0 and making all the right moves to earn herself a title shot in the future now if Roxanne Modafferi's professional career was a person it would be old enough to legally drink in Australia she has been fighting for a very long time and the Happy Warriors experience is definitely going to be a factor in this bout. But for mine, King Casey is ready for the test. And I believe she's going to present Roxanne with a lot of headaches as far as their stylistic matchup goes. Modafferia will set out to finish her career in style after deciding to bring her pro career to an end. A career spanning over 18 years and just under 50 fights. An incredible effort for Modafferi. Just tells you the story that you need to know about how durable she is. Uh, and she's ready to go for one last performance. She's obviously decided it's time. Maybe her body's telling her. Uh, maybe she just doesn't have that drive to get up for it. Uh, but she's in the rankings. Like, she's always been there or thereabouts. She has lost a lot. But she's also, you know, I remember the Macy Barber one really stood out to me because Macy Barber looked like such a prospect, the faint queen. Uh, and, yeah, Modafferi just got it done and she's done that a few times i think she did that against andrea lee as well so she's a really tricky opponent and she's the perfect matchup right now for casey o'neill it is going to be fight number 46 as well for the happy warrior this weekend which is cause for celebration roxanne has given so much throughout her quest to build women's mma up on a world scale and she deserves this grand send-off on the other side of the octagon this weekend is King Casey, who is just eight fights young in her pro career. King Casey is climbing the rankings at a rapid pace, so this test up against a grizzled veteran shapes as a great opportunity for King Casey to showcase her credentials. With a win this weekend, King Casey could perhaps break into the division's top 10, so a win is vital this weekend, and King Casey is no doubt going to be looking to put her name forward as far as future title challenges go. In fact, I'll say if she wins this, she will definitely go into the top 10. In my opinion, I think she deserves the place. Roxanne Modafferi is ranked number 12 as well, whilst Casey is 15. So at the very least, she'll jump to 11th or 12th. Uh, but I think King, uh, King Casey is a top 10 flyweight. I think she's a future title challenger as well. So Modafferi ranked 12th in the flyweight division, but retiring so she will give her spot up to someone else which is pretty cool uh, and Casey O'Neill is 15th so she's going to be looking to jump up inside that top 15. Now Casey O'Neill has had three UFC appearances and three finishes so really spectacular form in the flyweight division where there aren't always a, a like host of finishes so she's finished all three of her fights now she debuted in February 2021 with a round two knockout win over Shannon Dobson. Really dominant from Casey there. Immediately she looked every bit the prospect uh, that Australian fans and people who had been watching her back home 
knew that she could be. Now, she followed that up in June 2021 with a round three submission win over Laura Procopio. 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 Yeah, butchered that one. My apologies, Laura. Uh, Or Laura. I probably butchered her first name as well. I shouldn't laugh. I want to get these ones right. At least I can get King Casey O'Neill's name right. She got the submission win, and that was her second straight win inside the UFC, which really started to build her momentum inside the flyweight division. And now she's a genuine threat at 125 pounds. But King Casey saved her most impressive performance for her most recent outing. In October 2021, uh, it was early in my preview and prediction podcast days, I backed Casey in to get the win, but I believe I opted for her to get the win by submission. Now, Casey ended up getting herself the round two performance of the night knockout over Shevchenko, not Valentina, but Antonia. So there's some real like kind of story and narrative there already. She's already beaten one Shevchenko. She really put her forward, uh, name forward sorry, with that <clears throat> knockout to defeat Antonio Shevchenko, and that built Casey's record to a really healthy 8-0 in the process. So it's eight fights for King Casey, eight wins, no losses. She's had three knockout wins, two submission wins, and she's also been to decision and won three times, uh, but all of those were outside of the UFC. Now, as for Modafferi, Roxanne's most recent outing was up against one of the division's best and most elite talents in Talia Santos. Modafferi did unbelievably well to get through the 15 minutes, as she has so often done before, but Talia Santos was in another league, and the number 5 ranked woman's flyweight proved to be too strong for Modafferi on the night. Now Roxanne heads into this fight knowing that this will be the last fight of her career. Another storyline and another narrative intertwined into a card full of great storylines and narratives. It's a two-fight losing skid for Roxanne, so she won't want to go out on the sour note of a three-fight losing skid, uh, and she'll want to break that, get the win, and sail off into the sunset with a happy ending. Now, Roxanne, pretty much her whole career, has been built off decision victories and losses, so the smart money says that this one is going to decision, uh, and it is the final fight for one of the most experienced female fighters in modern MMA history. Now, is Roxanne going to add one final win to her telly, or is Casey O'Neill going to send her into retirement to go 9-0 and become a legitimate conversation point as far as title challenges go at £125? Roxanne, to her credit, has been given a run of really hard fights against the most difficult matchups possible in the division, and she's performed admirably in all of them. Even the ones she lost, decision. pretty much all of these fights were going to decision. But I like the way Roxanne Modafferi fights. I still think this is going to be very entertaining, especially because I have such a vested interest in Casey O'Neill. Speaking of Casey, she is only 24 years of age, I know you should never say a woman's age, but we do that on the UFC Preview and Predictions podcast, so sorry, ladies. Um, Now, 24 years of age, Casey's best years are absolutely ahead of her. She is a future champion, in my opinion. That is why I'm watching this with such a vested interest. I am backing her all the way in. She is my hot tip for this weekend. I think she can get it done against Roxanne Modafferi, King Casey, she looks every bit the title challenger, and Minon Fior is the only other one in the division at the moment that is really catching my eye. That could be a fun matchup, but I think King Casey 
could take out a lot of the ladies in the top 10. So there are a lot of fun matchups in her future after this. A loss would really cruel her momentum, but a win gets her to 9-0, positions her for a really big fight to try and go 10-0. Uh, and the future looks extremely bright for the Gold Coast Australian. Is that a, a term I can even use? Yes, it is. She also has Scottish heritage as well. Now, as far as Casey's gym, she has been associated with the extreme, sorry, butchered that, extreme couture gym since 2020. Now, extreme couture were largely considered the best gym in MMA throughout 2021, with Trevor Whitman's team not far behind, but extreme couture largely considered the best gym of last year. So a great gym to be part of, one of the best, if not the best in the world. So she trains at a gym which include names such as UFC heavyweight champion Francis Ngannou and Misha Tate, who recently has announced that she's going to be switching to flyweight. So that's a really interesting subnote as well there. That could be a future matchup that I'd love to see, but the trajectory of Casey O'Neill looks very exciting. And I'm a huge Misha Tate fan, but in my opinion, the trajectory at only 24 years of age, I think the future is much brighter, even though Misha Tate will definitely retire earlier than Casey O'Neill. I think, like, basically, Casey's prospects at flyweight are brighter, and I rate Misha Tate highly, but I think Casey O'Neill's better. I think she's better than most of the women, if not all of the women, bar uh, Valentina, who is obviously head and shoulders above everyone else at the moment, but I think Casey O'Neill is there or thereabouts. This is the chance for her to prove that. It's going to be a great crowd in Houston. She's going to have an awesome gym in Extreme Couture in her corner to lean on as well. So that is a big stat. Uh, and she's taking on just an extremely experienced fighter who is calling it a day. So great narratives. So much to look forward to. This is my favorite prelims fight on the card. Uh, and I'm excited to jump into the main card in my next podcast as well. But I've still got a prediction to make. There's betting markets. There's a few things to jump into, including Roxanne Modafferi, before I make my official prediction for this flyweight fight. Now, King Casey made her name under the Eternal MMA banner in Australia, which is the premier um, mixed martial arts organization in Australia. Now, she won the Eternal MMA strawweight woman's title and she defended her belt successfully twice so she was every bit the star coming up uh, and she's really been able in quickly without or with ease sorry she's been really quickly with ease able to transition her skills and her promise from eternal onto the big stage of the ufc so that is why i rate casey o'neill so highly she's only getting better as well and she also scooped up a raft of awards as a newcomer to watch in 2021. Now both females in this fight are the same size roughly so there's not going to be a huge size advantage or anything like that. Uh, the strength advantage interests me. I think Casey O'Neill has the advantage in all the areas but I don't know. Roxanne is so hard to finish so that's the thing. Casey O'Neill decision looks the most likely to be honest but I'll jump into Roxanne Modafferi now who is 39 years of age, still fighting, unbelievable effort. She is representing Las Vegas, so fight capital. She is a fighter as true as they come, so the Roxanne Modafferi story coming to an end this weekend. The Happy Warrior is her nickname. She really lives up to that. I think that kind of embodies what she is all about. Her gym is Syndicate MMA, so I don't know 
as much, but they do have quite a good setup uh, from everything I have read about them, but I, I don't hold them in the same regard as Extreme, Couture, No Offense, Syndicate, MMA. Uh, now, as far as the titles held for Roxanne Modafferi, she has held four world titles outside of the UFC, and she has competed in 44 fights, so an incredible effort, uh, and yeah, this is it. It all comes to an end for Roxanne Modafferi this weekend. 2003 was the year she made her professional debut. Like, wow. Roxanne has been fighting since 2003. Think about where you were in 2003. Now it's at the point where people in 2003 who were born that year uh, are buying alcohol and going out. So it's pretty wild. Uh, it is pretty wild to think. And just, yeah, I, I would say think where you are, where you were, sorry, in 2003. And then it's like some people listening to this wouldn't have even been born, which is crazy. And when I think where I was, I was in like grade three at school. So I was like six years old, seven years old. So unbelievable. Roxanne's been fighting that whole time. It's, it's a testament to her skills that her body has been able to hold up that long throughout that many fights. And it's such a huge difference in experience in comparison to her opponent in King Casey. I'm a huge fan of the Happy Warrior. Her personality and positivity are infectious, and I am sure she's going to succeed in whatever she decides to do next. Now, Modafferi's professional record, she has 44 fights, 25 wins, and 20 losses. So, not the most impressive record, but... That, that doesn't tell the full story of the Happy Warrior. She's been a great addition to the UFC. I've always enjoyed watching her fight. So, uh, yeah, best wishes to the Happy Warrior. 25 wins, 20 losses throughout her career. In terms of her wins, she's only won four times by knockout in 44 fights. So I don't think she's going to get that here. She's had five submission wins in 44 fights. So, again, she's not much of a stoppage artist. And she's had 16 decision wins. So 25 wins, 16 of those by decision. If you think Roxanne Modafferi is going to get the upset here, then decision is absolutely your best bet. Do consider that if you like the underdog bet. Now, Modafferi's losses, this is crazy. 44 fights, one knockout loss. So she's been knocked out once in 44 fights, and even in 20 losses, she's only been knocked out once. She has been submitted three times, but... 15 decision losses, so unbelievable. Only been knocked out once in 44 fights. She is incredibly durable. Uh, and 15 decision losses, 16 decision wins. So pretty much her whole career has been made up of decision results. If you're leaning toward like what makes sense, then that it makes total sense that this is going to be going to decision. But I've been working with a bit of a retirement theory as well that maybe... When fighters are retiring, like Gian Vellante, uh, with the Chris Barnett situation, that maybe they're more susceptible, sorry, susceptible to, yeah, being stopped. Same with Alia Quinta. So that's I, I. It's hard because Modafferi is almost impossible to finish. She's easy to beat, not easy, but she's beatable by decision. But yeah, it's a totally different story in terms of actually stopping her. But. Yeah, it, it's it's hard. It's hard to make my pick. A safe bet would be Casey O'Neill winning this fight by decision, but I'm leaning toward King Casey securing the finish in Houston this weekend. As for the stylistic matchup, it is going to be a 15-minute specialist in Modafferi 
who is as experienced as any female fighter in the world, up against King Casey, who has had no trouble scoring stoppages in her short UFC career to date, and I genuinely believe that Casey can get it done here. So I'm going to check the betting market now, and then I'll jump into my official prediction for this huge women's flyweight clash. Alright, so I am just pulling up the betting market now. UFC 271, Casey O'Neill, of course, is the heavy favorite, especially because the odds here are in Australia, so a lot of the hometown uh, Australians are going to be backing her, of course, putting their money uh, behind the support of their hometown hero, Casey O'Neill. So $1.28, head-to-head, not a lot of value there, but I think she is going to win head-to-head. Roxanne Modafferi, though, great value as always. She's a real sneaky little cheeky underdog winner. She's burnt me a couple of times when I've gone against her. Uh, She has potential to do that here as well. So $3.75 if you think Modafferi can get it done or $1.28 if you think Casey O'Neill is going to get it done, which is what I think is going to happen. Now for Modafferi to win by knockout, highly unlikely, $13. To win by submission, highly unlikely, $13. Six dollars. If you're gonna make a bet on Modafferi, chuck like twenty bucks on Modafferi by decision because that is six dollars. So chuck twenty on that. That's like fucking hundred and twenty bucks. Bang, just like that. But it, it not just like that because it's actually a very hard bet to win. Uh, but Modafferi, if she's gonna win, it's gonna be by decision. So six dollar odds are where it's at. That's definitely value. Do consider your options as always. And if you're not having a punt, that's awesome. You don't have to bet on all these things. You know, I just include the betting element. I think it's a fun part of it. Uh, But mainly this is just about getting excited about the UFC. But I do enjoy the method of victory odds. Now for Casey O'Neill to win by decision, that's the most likely result, right? So that's $1.91. That's okay, but I am chasing the finish here. That's my prediction for this one. Whether to go uh, knockout or submission, I am denied. I already know which way I'm going, but submission is $7. Casey O'Neill by knockout is $4.50. And my official prediction, Casey O'Neill and Roxanne Modafferi, the happy warrior in her last fight of her career. I am taking Casey O'Neill, and I'm not taking this one by decision. I am going to take a gamble. That's why they call it a gamble, right? I am going to take Casey O'Neill by knockout at $4.50. I think she's capable. I think it's her time to show, you know what? One person has knocked Modafferi out in 44 fights. If she can become the second uh, and only once Modafferi's retired, you know, then boom. You know, that states her case immediately to be in the top 10. I think Casey O'Neill is well equipped to make this her night. I'm backing her in. My flyweight prediction for this fight, I'm taking Casey O'Neill. I'm going the Australian. Uh, I have gone against some of the Australians and Kiwis earlier in this card, but I've gone for some as well. And this is another case where I will be backing in the Australian with all my support. And all my support includes the stoppage finish. So I'm going to be taking Casey O'Neill by knockout. It's going to be awesome. As I've said a few times, the fight I am most looking forward to on this prelims card. Three wins last year for Casey. Now, if she can get another three wins this year, then she will surely find herself challenging for the flyweight belt sooner rather than later. 
So that is it for that one, a really exciting one there. Uh, and that leaves us with our featured prelim. So I've got one fight to go on this podcast, and then I will be doing the other five main card fights on a separate podcast. So it's time to move on to our featured prelim. We've got some big boppers. We've got a legend in the mix as well. We have two heavyweights as former UFC heavyweight champion, Andre Arlovsky, who is going through a career revival as of late, takes on Jared Vandera. And it's fair to say that Arlovsky's kind of that bridge between guys who want to break into the rankings and push towards a title shot, and then guys who kind of float outside the top 15. So Vandera now finds himself in that position. Arlovsky has been dispatching of guys who are of a similar kind of quality to Vandera, but now's Vandera's time to say, no, I'm different. This is a different situation. And to gain a win over a former UFC heavyweight champion, put that on your resume. All of a sudden, you can start pushing toward the top 15. This win may even get you there. It will at least surely get you a ranked opponent next. So potentially the biggest match of Jared Vandera's career. Maybe there has been a bigger one. Uh, But in terms of where his career stands right now, I think this is the biggest fight of Vandera's life. Up against Arlovsky too, who is just a veteran at this point. So experienced. He's really refined his game as of late. So this featured prelim is going to be a great heavyweight showdown. The two big boys are set to collide in a fight that is sure to dictate the trajectory of both of their careers inside of the UFC going forward. On one hand, you have the former world champion, Andre Arlovsky, who has been enjoying his second wind in the latter stages of his career. Arlovsky is deep into the third decade of his career as a professional fighter, and as the years have progressed, one area of Arlovsky's game that has improved with his experience has been his ability to evade his opponent's striking attempts and make it look easy. He's a lot quicker on his feet, he takes a lot less damage, he kind of knows what spots to pick in the cage, what kind of footwork to use, and he's really, really tricky to kind of get a read on. So he's been really good at evading strikes. I think that's going to be his plan here against Vandera as well. Now, they are heavyweights, so he's more durable long-term, Arlovsky, because when he gets knocked out, he's taking this one big knockout shot rather than an accumulative amount of strikes, like a death by a thousand cuts, like some of the lower weight classes. Uh, But that is one thing that comes into play here. If Vandera can clip Arlovsky, if he can beat that evasion game and really put the pressure on, then Arlovsky's 43 and he's fighting like he's 23 or maybe 33 in his physical prime and experienced. And yeah, if Vandera can get the knockout, then that will be huge. And he can definitely do it. Arlovsky's 43 and he's he's taken damage. So... It, it's it's an exciting fight. I'm still not exactly sure which way I'm going to go for this, but I think I do have an idea which way I'm leaning. I probably won't change my prediction, but I got a little bit to get through before I do make my prediction. So let's continue on now. This featured prelim heavyweight action, Andre Arlovsky up against Jared Vandera. Andre Arlovsky has won four of his last fights, which has really set him up in a nice position. And it's been a career resurrection for the big man. This weekend will mark the 37th UFC appearance for Arlovsky, in contrast to his opponent Vandera, who will be making only his fourth appearance for the promotion. So Arlovsky with 33 more fights inside the UFC than Vandera, a lot of experience to draw on there. 
especially when it comes to the big Houston crowd. Uh, there's been so much apex action. So now Vandera steps into this huge, huge fight in front of a massive crowd. Uh, Olofsky's been there before. I do think that is a factor that's going to come into play throughout this fight. But how nervous will Jared Vandera be? How prepared is he going to be? How ready is he going to be to do his thing once that bell rings? I don't know. So we'll, we'll look forward to it this weekend. A lot of questions will be answered once that bell does ring. Now, Jared Vandera is nicknamed The Mountain, 29 years of age from California, and he is representing Team Quest. The size advantage will tip in the scales favor of Vandera, or the scales, sorry, will tip in the favor of Vandera. Uh, he's got the size advantage. That's going to really help if he can beat Andre Arlovsky's evasion game and really start laying hands on him because he has got the size advantage, potentially the power advantage at this stage in his career. Uh, and I think there's a massive chance that we do see a big Jared Vandera knockout in this fight. Fair to say as well that there are probably ranking implications involved with this fight. I don't know if the winner breaks into the top 15, but the heavyweight is not the strongest top 15. Uh, no disrespect to the heavyweights comparatively to some other stacked weight classes. So I think a spot is maybe not up for grabs with a win here. But next, you've got to give them a decent ranked opponent to give them the chance to fight their way in there. I think that's kind of where both guys are at now, especially Arlovsky. He kind of, he's earned the right to have one, if he wants to, have one last crack, one last push into the top 15 uh, before he eventually calls it a day. And he's looking really good. He's looking up to it. I can definitely see him beating a few guys who are in the top 15. So Andre Olovsky, this shapes is equally a very important fight for him. 43 years of age, nicknamed the Pitbull. Andre Olovsky, if you thought Roxanne Modafferi been active since 2003 was a while, Olovsky has been active since 1999. I was three years old when Olovsky started fighting, and he's not retiring this weekend. He's still going. He's pushing to try and get back in the rankings. So yeah, I'm loving the career revivals of late of guys like Arlovsky and Jose Aldo. Now, Arlovsky is a former UFC heavyweight champion, which I've mentioned before, and he is representing the American Top Team gym. So the American Top Team theory in full effect again, uh, and he is one of the bigger names. They're going to put a lot of effort into getting him right, making sure he can get the win. Uh, and yeah, I think that's a major advantage having the American Top Team in his corner. And for mine, that does start to lean me towards Andre Arlovsky, which is where I already, before I started studying some extra tape, I've watched a lot of these guys' fights now. Um, but I was leaning towards Arlovsky anyway, but I always like to watch some tape, do some extras, and then kind of make my decision once I've looked that little, little extra bit into it. Uh, so I was leaning towards Arlovsky, but at this stage, especially with American top team in his corner, I'm leaning toward Arlovsky. The only danger... I think Vandera is a massive chance of scoring the knockout finish. We don't often see heavyweight fights go to decision, so that's kind of how Olovsky's been winning. And he's going to need to evade strikes for 15 minutes, because if Vandera lays hands on him, it, it could be game over very quickly. Now, in 2021, we saw both men try to compete as much as they possibly could. And for Jared Vandera, he entered 2021 feeling really good about his chances inside the heavyweight division. He got the round one demolition knockout win over Harry Hunsucker on the Contender Series. 
And uh, Harry Hunsucker, no offense to him, I don't rate him very highly. I don't think he's top 15 material. Um, but Van Deren knocked him out really easily, got his UFC contract. So 2021 was Jared Vandera's debut year for the promotion. Vandera debuted in February, but he wasn't successful. He lost in round two via knockout to Sergey or Sergey, sorry, Spivak. Sergey always gets me that name, doesn't it? Now in May, Vandera backed up from that loss, and he had a fight of the night decision win over Justin Taffer. That was a great battle. That one went to decision as well, which is an interesting note. Now, in October, that was Vandera's most recent fight, and he suffered a round two knockout loss to Alexander Romanov. Uh, that w- happened during my preview and predictions podcast days. It had been up and running very early. I picked Romanov to win. I may have gone submission, but I had Romanov to get the stoppage. He did. Uh, Vandera, that was a great chance for him to push further into the rankings, or really push into the rankings, rather. But he got stopped by a guy who looks like a very big prospect, in the heavyweight division. So Vandera is one win and two losses inside the UFC, meaning that this fight is going to have a significant bearing on the trajectory of his career in the heavyweight division. As for Arlovsky's 2021, in February, he had a submission loss to Tom Aspinall, who looks like the next big thing at heavyweight. I cannot speak highly enough about Tom Aspinall. He is going to be main eventing an upcoming card in London. That's going to be one of, if not the biggest definitely going to be the biggest fight night of the year so that one I cannot wait to preview I cannot wait to sit down and watch but Tom Aspinall gets the submission over Andre Arlovsky that's not too bad for Andre honestly I rate Tom Aspinall very highly now in April Andre Arlovsky got a decision win over Chase Herman who Chase Herman is like yeah I picked him to win by knockout over Jake Collier recently and he got submitted and before that, like, he, he, yeah, he hasn't been able to show what he was showing outside of the UFC. He hasn't been able to bring that into the UFC. So Andrei Olovsky coasted to a pretty easy decision win there. Uh, in October, when I was doing my preview and predictions podcast, he got the decision win over Carlos Felipe. I don't know whether I went knockout. I think I may have gone... I can't remember. I honestly can't remember. I think I may have gone Andre Olovsky by decision. That seems seemed like the most likely option. Now, as far as the professional records, Andre Olovsky has 54 professional fights, 32 wins, 20 losses, and two no contests. Olovsky's wins include 17 knockouts, so he is a knockout specialist, or he was definitely in his heyday. Now he's leaning a lot more towards decisions, but if you think he can get the stoppage win, we do see plenty of finishes in heavyweight fights, then Arlovsky knockout win definitely seems like a great value bet. He's also won three times by decision, but in 54 pro fights, only three submissions, I'd say probably not going that way. And he has had 12 decision wins. Uh, That's kind of been his game as of late as well, so I think Andre Arlovsky by decision could be a good safe bet, but the heavyweights always, I'm always reluctant to go decision with the heavyweights, so knockout, this could definitely end in a knockout, uh, and yeah, that's what's been kind of hard about making my prediction. Now, as far as Arlovsky's losses, he has been knocked out 11 times, that really plays into Jared Vandera's hands, who has 7 knockout wins, which so predominantly all his wins have come by way of knockout, sorry, I thought I was going to cough. So Arlovsky has lost 11 times by knockout. 
That opens a door big time for Jared Vandera to capitalize on that. Arlovsky's been submitted twice, but that's only in 50, or that's in 54, not only in, that's fucking, sorry, I thought it was, I just got something in my throat. Uh, in 54 fights, he's been submitted twice, so doubtful that's going to happen, and he has lost by decision seven times, so Arlovsky, if he's going to lose, I think he is going to get knocked out here, but we could see a war, we could see a three-round war, I'd love to know what you're thinking, uh, yeah, I do run polls on my Instagram to try and work out what everyone's thinking as well, but I like to do my podcast first, uh, I try not to listen to too many predictions or anything like that, and influ- get influenced by uh, opinions and things like that. I try to just watch as much tape as I can, stick to what I know, and then sometimes lean on a trusted source and things like that for information if it's a really close one to pick. Now, for Jared Vandera, he has had 18 fights, 12 wins, 6 losses. So two-thirds of his fights he's won, but that means one-third of his fights he's lost, unfortunately for Jared. Now, seven knockout wins, that's how he's going to get the win here. If he does win, I think, I think he's able to knock out Arlovsky, who's lost 11 times by knockout. Vandera has also won three times by submission and twice by decision. Now, Vandera's losses, he's had two knockout losses, two submission losses, and two decision losses, so take your pick. I don't think Arlovsky will submit him, but he could definitely get knocked out. Uh, and the most likely, I guess, is for him to lose by decision to Andrei Arlovsky. As far as the stylistic matchup goes, it's going to be Arlovsky's evasion. I've said it all night. His footwork, uh, and he's, it's coming into play most definitely because Vandera is going to be pressing for the knockout, uh, and there could very well be a knockout stoppage in this featured prelim if Vandera can force Arlovsky into a slugfest. Both men have fought the last handful of their fights in the UFC Apex, so it's going to be different versions of both fighters, and most definitely a different fight with the crowd's presence. The crowd will not be standing for any nonsense, and they'll be cheering on for the stoppage finish. They don't want to see this one go to decision. That's what I'm picking, and that could really influence what actually does go down in this fight. We could see them press harder for the knockout, uh, and yeah, they, they, they'll get booed. They'll get booed if it's boring, not that that will stop them from any clinch work and things like that. But I do think it just edges things closer to the, that stoppage finish, which I have gone a ton of stop ed, stoppage finishes. I'm interested to see who can get it done for me on my methods uh, and who doesn't. It's always interesting to see uh, when I put my full faith in people uh, or in fighters, you know, and then to see how they fight. So it's a really tricky one to pick because of the crowd's involvement. Uh, and heavyweights don't typically go to decision, so I'm always hesitant on betting on a decision win in any heavyweight fight. Arlovsky is different though. It's been his game plan of late, and he has implemented it successfully to just evade strikes, strike well, use his jabs, stay on the outside, pick his moments, use the wrestling when required, and get through that 15 minutes like the experienced veteran that he is. So why would he go away from that? Four of his last fights victorious. The loss was to Tom Aspinall, who is an elite talent. So I don't think Arlovsky is going to go away from what's been working from it for him. I think American Top Team are just going to come in. They're going to highlight his strengths, and they're going to improve on his weaknesses. I think we're going to see all-round and even better Arlovsky. He seems to keep adding things to his game and adding elements and reinventing himself in a way. 
Uh, so I love Arlovsky. I love watching him fight. He is just a legend of the game. Now is Vandera's chance to capitalize and get that big name scalp. Especially Arlovsky. It's not like he's on a slump and he's a former UFC heavyweight champ. He is a former UFC heavyweight champ who has won four of his last five. So this is a huge night for Vandera. The biggest of his career. And if he gets the win, this will be the biggest win of his career. It will set him up to finally push for, I'm sure, all the dreams he's had to one day be the heavyweight champion. Well, it all starts here this weekend. Massive night for Jared Vandera. Equally as big night for Andre Arlovsky. I cannot wait. This is why this one is in the featured prelim. Plenty at stake. So, cannot wait to sit down for this featured prelim. Got a little bit more to tell you, and then I'll jump into my official prediction for this one. When I say I got a little bit more to tell you, I mean the betting market. So, Arlovsky is the favorite, but I do think the odds reflect kind of where this clash is at. Arlovsky's at $1.68, which I think is fair, and Jared Vandera is $2.20, so they're not going crazy with the price. Uh, but as I said, there is a big likelihood that he could get the knockout finish. Now for Vandera head-to-head to -head, 20, Arlovsky $1.68. For Arlovsky to win by decision, $2.35, that's the most likely option. Uh, for Jared Vandera to win by decision, $4.33, so a lot more value on Vandera to win by decision, but Arlovsky's definitely had the better go of it when he's gone the full 15-minute distance as of late. Uh, so I probably wouldn't be considering a Jared Vandera decision win overly like strongly. Now for the knockouts, Arlovsky to win by knockout is $6. There is definite value on that. And for Jared Vandera to win by knockout, $4.75. So I think there's huge value on either man to win by knockout. It's a heavyweight contest. Uh, and I probably won't be, but I, I would consider... I would definitely consider whacking on a couple of bonus bets in terms of knockout finishes. Maybe Vandera for the knockout or Arlovsky, but not both. You can't be doing too many ridiculous bets. Otherwise, how are you going to make any money? Now for a submission win, highly unlikely, $13 for Vandera and $17 for Arlovsky. As for where I'm going to go with this featured prelim, heavyweight action, Jared Vandera and Andre Pitbull Arlovsky. I'm taking Arlovsky, and I'm going to be taking Andre Arlovsky by decision. I'll be taking him head-to-head -head at $1.68, but I'll also be jumping on Arlovsky by points. $2.35, not the biggest game-changing odds, but that's the way I think it will go. That is definitely the way I think this fight's going to go, so my official prediction for this heavyweight fight, I'm taking Andre Arlovsky by decision. I think he can implement his game. I think American Top Team are going to continue to work with him and continue. It's just going to continue to get better until he's ready to call it a day. So Andre Olovsky by decision in this featured prelim. I really hope you've enjoyed the first part of this podcast. The main card is going to be even bigger. I'm going to edit out any fuck ups, any sniffs, anything like that that needs to be edited out, which I didn't during this one. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, thank you so much for listening. That is my preliminary preview and predictions. I will be back very shortly. Just give you enough time to listen to this one. Uh, and then I will have a great main, part, uh, main card podcast ready to go. I've really done my research, my homework. I'm so excited for the two main events, but there are three other amazing fights to jump into as well. Uh, the middleweight fight as well between Brunson and Kamnir. 
really interests me that has major title implications as well so plenty to look forward to i hope you enjoyed this podcast named card podcast is up next so if you enjoyed the podcast follow us on instagram at not just a sports report you'll be able to see as soon as that main card podcast drops so thank you so much for listening Uh, i'm also going to be going live on twitch this weekend with jj we're going to be watching the entire card ufc 271 unfortunately we're not able to show the footage but we will be doing live reactions live commentary and plenty of other stuff so there's going to be a twitch stream on sunday if that's your thing again follow us on instagram at not just a sports report if you want to stay up to date on all of this stuff I'll be posting uh, a bit closer to the time and the card beginning uh, with all the details. So it's going to be heaps of fun. I've got the main card podcast coming up next, the Twitch stream on Sunday. And this has been not just a sports report, UFC 271 preliminary card preview and prediction. So I hope you enjoyed. And until next time, take care.